scream out exactly who they are, but we refuse to listen because we want them to be what we want them to be. And it's not any different with ideas and systems. When there's that thing that's like pinging in your side where you're like, I don't know about this. Sometimes you're wrong. A lot of times you're not, especially if it's something you've been rooting for. Hey, welcome back to the Criticality Podcast, folks. I hope you are doing well. This is the podcast where we create perpetual conversations about humanity and how we can ultimately solve the human condition. That's the goal. This one's a big one. This one was... Ah, uh, It had a certain place in my heart because I kind of feel that I linked with this guest on different levels of thought on different levels of how we can overcome certain problems and the way we identify certain problems and how we can deal with them ultimately. I'm not going to go too much into the conversation that we had, but trust me, we went deep. We talked about cryptocurrency, the powers of the government, and COVID vaccines. What are they about and do they really work? I would love to introduce you to this week's guest, the legend the thought provoker, the thought leader that is Julian Dory. Enjoy. Yeah, that's it. Right, Julian Dory, thank you very, very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come onto my podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I kind of thank you, man. You. Thank you. Kinda, thank you for having me. Yeah, I kind of look up to you. Um, even though your podcast is relatively new, I like the way you do things. I like your style. And I was like, do you know what? This guy would be really, really fucking interesting to talk to because I'm kind of, I listen to you talk and I'm like, Jesus, you know, you're touching on buzzwords, you're touching on bus subjects and things like that. But we had a conversation a couple of weeks back. We sort of touched base to arrange this podcast and you sent that you were into, or you worked into Wall Street. You worked in Wall Street for a couple of years. And I wanted to get onto that um, because there's lots of, situations and periods in recent history that almost plague us today still finance is one of the big ones wall street is huge and i mean it all goes back to government and we're talking i mean this podcast you could fragment this what we're going to talk about hopefully into maybe five or six different podcasts finance money politics uh corruption cryptocurrency bitcoin decentralization like you could just go on forever but just i just wanted to poke you a little bit on the um on your time in wall street how long were you in wall street for what were you doing and what was involved in your aspect you know your your daily sort of activities in that space so i worked on wall street for almost five years exactly and i specifically worked in what's called private banking. It's called different things at different banks, but I worked in Merrill Lynch, which is by the time I got there in 2016, it had been owned by Bank of America for eight years at that point, since the whole financial crisis thing happened. And I worked with ultra high net worth individuals and then some companies. And I worked within a team where my my boss had built a business over by the time I got there, like 27, 28 years. And he worked with the people that move society. You know, I, I don't even know if I could tell you straight up the average net worth of people he worked with, but 
generally at a minimum, unless it was somebody who's attached to the family member of an individual client, like as a son or daughter or something like that, he was working with people worth at least 30 million and oftentimes working with people, you know, worth close to a billion dollars who own sports teams and stuff like that. And I had a chance to get into that world. And when, when you're in that world, you're around people who are, they're around the, they're part of decision-making in society and they're around the decision-making in society. And that is an interesting thing to get a lot of different perspectives on, but to stay with the wall street side, cause we can go to that another time or a little later, but I was more focused on a helping him maintain his business, whether that be running the investment strategies, literally dealing with like life planning for people like straight up financial advisor stuff, or, I was also out there producing business, especially when you're coming out of college and you know, you're a young guy putting on a suit and telling people, Oh, give us all your money. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's certainly a very, very interesting value proposition to be doing. And it's that worked in the past, maybe 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that doesn't really happen too easily now. Mm. So, I mean, overall, there's a lot of different ways I can go with that. But my big thing is that at banks, they don't like you to think, period. There's a way of doing things that 100 lawyers in a room somewhere said, this is how the fuck it's going to be done. And people aren't allowed to ever question that where it doesn't make sense. And what ends up happening is you have this enormous group think where different segments of banks and you know there's a million segments in banks we touched all of them like from our seat we were one of the rare positions at the bank where we worked with everyone from the investment bankers bringing, bringing through deals to take companies public if we were working with people around those companies or working with those companies on some of the plans they have whether that be like could be 401ks or 10b5-1 stuff like that or we could also be working with business bankers who handle like cash flow for companies of clients we have, or the personal bankers who handle like the day-to-day -day banking stuff that we have coordination with just to handle our clients' cash flow on whatever this week is this week. So I got to see how these different departments all operate, you know, their roles, their methods of work, their communication. And I found myself running into over and over again someone giving me an answer that made no sense. And when I asked them why, they would give me some sort of reason of, that's just what the bank says it has to be. Mm. And I used to, I used to think to myself, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I'm, I'm trying to do a good job for the clients right now. And this is a good thing we're looking to do. And you're telling me that just cause like, you're not, you're told you can't do something. You can't look into why we, why we should do it. Made no sense to me, but I understand it because once you get a lot of lawyers and you get the government into the banks and by the way, certain, and that's another thing to talk about, but certain bankers certainly put a lot of other people in that position with what they did in 08, 09, no question about that. You know, once you infect that though, with that litigious mindset and that cover your ass society, which it already was, but when it gets past a certain point, it is, it's suffocating. Mm. Yeah. And I, f I feel I mean, I only see what goes on from the outside, obviously, but it's almost gotten worse to a point, you know, when the housing crash happened. In, I mean, it started in 2007. I mean, I like to think I know my shit. I watch the big short, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But really, how much does anybody really know? I mean, probably 
I mean, half the it's probably only half the story what you get. And even if you do your own deep dive and research and find out as much as you possibly can, it's probably only half the story. But it's it's unbelievable to me almost that they're still doing the same shit. It's just got a different sticker on it. You know, they're still got the same practices. They're still moving the same way. There's, there's still that culture there. I don't think it'll ever go away. Um, but I do find it. What do you really, What do you mean by that? The culture of, and to put it bluntly, now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I love to be wrong because if I'm wrong, then I'm learning. It's almost this attitude of, I'm going to get mine, fuck everybody else. You know, from the big bankers, we, you know, when they created these bullshit assets, CDOs, you know, these tranches and all the rest of it back in 2006, seven, and the whole thing fell apart. We bailed out the banks to the tune of trillions and not one of those went to jail. Not one of them was punished. Not one person. And it's, it's still going on today. I mean, we're having a housing boom in the UK at the moment. How the fuck you can have a housing boom in the middle of a pandemic when millions of people have lost their jobs is completely beyond me. I don't understand it. I don't know why things happen the way they do. I mean, well, I do. It's, 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 you're enticed, you're encouraged to, to borrow money by the banks because money is so fucking cheap. But nothing's really changed. They're still giving out loan, you know, these, these bullshit loans at a stupid price. Um, these big bankers are still there. As I say, nobody was punished. You know, I just wonder at what point does it stop? Does the power shift from the big bankers and the politicians to the people at some point using cryptocurrency to facilitate that shift? I find this whole <laughs> finance thing really, really interesting. Like, I feel like we're at the point now where we're, we're at the beginning of a massive transition, a global undermining of central banks, the Fed, governments, politicians. Is that going to happen just by will of people and what we want? Or are we going to see, you know, 1984 shit, draconian powers brought in by the government and all this stuff shut down? I think we're going to start to see the true colours of the governments that we've put into power in the next 15 to 20 years. Wow. There is a lot to get after there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First, I want to make it clear. You know, I know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert on the, the British banking system. Okay. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on there. I know a fair amount about the U.S. banking system, less than I used to. I don't work in it anymore, but it, you know, I, I still—that's something I track pretty closely because it's closer to home. Mm. <sighs> your point, just as a side note, your point about the housing boom mid-crisis—it's the same thing happening here, by the way. And I think about this all the time because it's just fake money. There's, I, I saw a number the other day, and I'm hesitant to put this out because I did not fact check it. So please fact check this. But someone said like 20% of the global supply of dollars has been created in the last year. I don't think it's that high. That's why I say I want to fact check it. But either way, the amount of money that the Fed just printed out of nowhere to stimulate this thing, 
keep things going, quote unquote. I mean, I get it. It was a shitty situation to be in. The idea that like, however, out of that, that we're going to have everything the same as we did and your money's going to go similarly as far and that's not going to have downstream effects is insane to me. I'm not even getting to the cryptocurrency thing yet. We'll get there. And I, I like that you brought that up. But your whole dynamic that you paint of the banks, and again, could be different in the UK. I'm going to give you how I look at it here in the US. I think you're in the right area and you have the wrong boogeyman. When you were pointing to a lot of the same things happening and the same people doing the same shit, I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why. First of all, there, there was a, a great quote. I always refer to this, this legendary trader in Wall Street who runs a, he's been, a, he's run a newsletter and has some shows for like the last 12 years since the financial crisis. This guy, Jared Dillian, he worked at Lehman Brothers and he wrote an amazing book. I think it was called Street Freak a few years after the crisis. He's an incredible writer. And one of the things he said there is that there were approximately 20,000 people who worked at Lehman Brothers, which, you know, for people who don't remember, that was the the big one that failed, like mm-hmm. in September 2008 in the US, the yeah. big investment bank that failed. He said there were around 20,000 people who worked at Lehman Brothers and 19,995 of them were really good people who were really good at their jobs. I always edit that and say it's probably around 19,970, but the the point is spot on. Guys like Jared, who was a trader, he wasn't creating CDOs. That wasn't his department. That's not how banks work. Banks are, their departments are mushroom. They treat everyone like mushrooms. Feed them shit, keep them in the dark, right? right? So you had, at that level, you had the highest people, Dick Fold and then Greg something. He was the COO. Dick Fold was the CEO. And that was just one bank where they were very much in the know on these toxic assets that one of their teams was creating. And the people who were leading that team were in the know. But below them, it's all a chain of command thing, even back then before all the crazy regulation. And it's like, oh, well, you're, you are trusting that the person above you has done the things within their dis- job description so that you can execute your job description. And this is where you run into problems. And eventually people get blamed for shit that frankly was six levels above them that they have nothing to do with. Yeah, and I, I empathize that. with that. Hmm. Where I don't empathize is exactly another point you made in there, which is that now one of these people went to jail. That's gross. There were people who openly knew exactly what this was, and they were trying to make more money. They were trying to protect their share price. And so, you know, I always, I'm very honest on my show about how I feel about stuff, and I'm not afraid saying in the same mouth that capitalism is the best system in the world, and it's not close. However, it has flaws, and yeah. there are things that have to be fixed that are ridiculous. And some of this, like, these things that slip through the cracks of psychology of competition. There's a ton of upside to that. But man, when you get downside, it can be bad downside. And I also say this, and this is a little bit cynical. It's a lot of bit cynical, but it is how I feel. There are certain things that will never be perfected. And we will have things happen over and over again, even if they get smaller and better over time in the context of human history, things get better, where things go wrong still. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I don't have the answers for those things. When you're talking about human psychology, try controlling 340 million people in a country, try controlling 7.5 billion people in a world. 
you're going to have good and bad actors. It's a tough thing. But what you your point about how there just continues to be this like this sucking sound of power that happens. I agree with you in the sense that it's at the top of the banks. I think that, you know, I, I pointed out Dick Fold there and his COL. I'll look up his name later. I forget. But same kind of deal today. And I got those vibes heavy working for a company owned by Bank of America where, you know, to a degree, I accept the fact that especially in a large chain in a huge company, of course, there's a chain of command. Of course, there's people who the higher up you go, the more they know person above the person below you. Totally understand that. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, right? Like that, there's a level to which that is perfectly acceptable. But where I draw the line is when you start packaging and selling things to the people who you rely on to make your money, completely dishonest things. And you do it under the guise of, oh, well, I have to do that to protect my share price. Nah, fuck that. There were too many times in my career where I saw very clearly guys just totally shift as if everything they it was like gaslighting. As if everything they said six months ago when other things were true and now these new things that they need to take care of had changed that. It's like they never said that. And and everything could be new. One one example. I'm sorry if I'm rambling here, but there's no, you, I just you go ahead. I love it. Dude, I loved everything you brought up. And there's just so we could talk about banks all day because it's a symbol for so much. But early on in my career, a guy who was a very prominent figure, I don't want to say because people who listen can figure out who it was, but a guy who was a very prominent figure at the company came to speak at a meeting that a bunch of early employees were in, right? So I was in there with maybe a hundred people and he started, this is maybe like February, 2016, something like that. And he starts making all these backhanded jokes about like Obama and about this upcoming fiduciary rule and stuff. And like, yeah, what a joke, you know, like that thing. And the people outside the business don't know what the fiduciary rule was, but the fiduciary rule was something that had been being developed at the time by the Department of Labor that was due to come out before the end of Obama's presidency, they didn't know when, that was going to change specifically the brokerage business within banks. And it was going to require, it, it was under the word fiduciary, like do what's in the best interest of the client. But in my opinion, I think, I think Obama's intentions were, were probably good with it, but the execution, because he doesn't work in that business and clearly the people who worked on the bill didn't. The execution was horrible because it ended up doing the opposite of that. It basically said, oh, we're not going to let you do anything with your clients. And I don't need to get into how that works. Another time I could do that, but just take my word for it on, on that respect. It was a very, it was a widely, completely like, this is a horrible rule. And so before it even came out, people already had an idea where it was going and they were talking shit on him. So this guy comes in, he's talking shit left and right in, on Obama. Then he comes in nine months later, eight months later, whatever it was, when the rule got announced and we get a full call to arms, like the entire complex, I don't know, 300 people going into a big room to listen to this guy talk about it. And he's going to be talking about the fiduciary rule. And I'll never forget, he got right up in the middle. Everyone got silent. And he, he did that, you know, that thing, like when people are like thinking and they're about to be like, oh, I got to put on a face now. He like yeah. looks down in his fucking, you know, $6,000 suit that, you know, 
whatever. He thought way too high of it. And then he looks back up with that fake ass face and he goes, we here at Merrill Lynch. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, President Obama and the Department of Labor, the biggest thank you today. And that is exactly how he said it. And then he went on and on about how they made us officially a profession today. And all this shit and how we're going to go all in on this rule as a bank and you're all going to love it, whatever. Never mind you, half of the people who work in that room no longer work at that bank. They left, went to other places or they mm -hmm. just left the industry like me. You know, I saw that and I realized, oh, you know, I'm a kid. I'm like 22 when you're saying that. I'm like, oh, he's full of shit. <laughs> oh, somebody told him he's got to say something and he didn't question it. And now he's a bitch. Like I never respected that guy again, ever. I was, I was like, no. And I later I empathize with him because, you know, he has kids, he's getting a check, he's getting a big check, like he doesn't want to lose his job and whatever. And that's a shitty place to be. But he basically had to be a complete, utter dog in front of all of us, a hypocrite to the nth degree because something changed and the people high up at Bank of America now got with their legal team. This is exactly what happened and said, oh, this is actually a big opportunity for us because if we go all in on this, maybe the other banks will follow us and then they'll all get rid of the brokerage business, which is what we want to do because the way Bank of America viewed it and does view it today is that the brokers are their biggest expense. They want to get rid of them. They want to be, this is a bank that has people operating on 2010 Dells in these offices and yet they're investing in the most blockchain of any bank around the world. They're not stupid. They're trying to get rid of these people and they're going to an automated society, which might not even be wrong. Maybe it's not for that business. I'm not going to totally disagree. I certainly right now would have some disagreements with it, but they're doing this and they're telling people the opposite. They're telling them, oh, we're here for you. They're sucking you in. They're saying, no, 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 no. Stay working here. Stay on, stay on the, the corporate teat, if you will. Right. Mm. And that was the first time I saw it. And I was I kind of viewed it as more of an isolated thing. And then as my career went along, I saw this in everything we did. It wasn't just the fiduciary rule. It wasn't just this jerk off. It was everything. And I even saw it like with my boss who came up in a different world. I saw his frustration with it. And I saw how much he was like, you know, and he's not going to say this. The guy's a machine and and powerful guy at the firm and like can operate in the brokerage business. He can operate on his own island. But I started to see that he had to ask permission, which interesting how he asked permission. I always respected that. It wasn't exactly like asking permission to do things that are absolutely common sense. And I'm like, okay, it wasn't like that when he came up. What's it going to be like if I'm here in 15 years? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, no doubt that these people get into this industry, whatever it may be. I mean, and, and, and at the moment, I'm thinking of law enforcement. These people get into the industry with the best intentions, you know, thinking that they're going to make waves and do good and, you know, act in a positive way. But the culture infects them. I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with that word. It infects them because the, the language that use, the, the, the behavior that is exuded through the companies, these big companies, they just become part of it. And before you know it, like you say, in 15, 20 years' time, you know, you're sucking off the tit, you're, you're afraid to say or do anything 
I want to say moral. You know, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that these companies are immoral, but when they're faced with a task or something that doesn't fit with their morality, but they go with it because the paycheck entices them to, you know, they lose their soul to these companies. And and, and I'm thinking of the police. I don't know why it just pops into my mind, but popular got, thing to think about with that. Yeah. I've got this massive bugbear with the, 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 the police over in the UK, they wear these stab vests and they put their hands in their, in their tops there and they walk around and I'm like, Oh, you look such a fucking douchebag, honestly. And they use words like, yes, I saw this gentleman exiting from this establishment. And I'm like, why, why, why do you do this? You just, I, you know, I get it. You, I'm sure you're a great guy or, or a woman, whatever, but that culture infects them. It, it changes their behavior. It changes their attitude. It changes the way they um, relate to the public and they just come off assholes. And the banks have done the same, this culture, this, you know, we want to make billions culture and we will, I mean, it's a cutthroat industry. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's fucking hard. I'm sure. And I wouldn't like to do it, but unfortunately it's created fucking assholes at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? And and I just think, Oh Jesus, are we going to get a moral banking system with, with Bitcoin blockchain, all these cryptocurrencies? I don't know. I mean, I've heard you talk about it before, but this whole thing is, is fascinating to me. Like we're going to create something amazing or government and central banks are going to step on the people and say, fuck you. I think about this a lot. Yeah. I think about this a lot because the cynic in me and like, it's funny. I'm, I'm a little bit of a paradox in that way. And maybe even some people would, would say a hypocrite with some of it and, Hey, they're going to say what they're going to say, but I'm cynical. And then I also have like a lot of hope in people. It's just like in groups and systems, I don't. Yes. So I don't, I don't think that's hypocritical, but people call it what they will. I, I want to be really careful in everything I do of not, I don't want to say this. Not seeing what I want to see and instead seeing what it actually is. There's right. a famous line somebody said 500 years ago, four and whatever it was, someone like maybe in the revolution or something like that, where they're like, people scream out exactly who they are, but we refuse to listen because we want them to be what we want them to be. And it's not any different with ideas and systems. When there's that thing that's like pinging in your side where you're like, I don't know about this. Sometimes you're wrong. A lot of times you're not, especially if it's something you've been rooting. And so I check myself on this all the time because I, I am a big Bitcoin guy, but we are in such the early innings here, which can be a great thing or a bad thing, you know? And these are the dangerous things to see these days around the Bitcoin community, which I don't like. That is not good to me. The tribalism is really what you're hitting at. And I'm talking about it in the context of Bitcoin right now because you brought it up at the end. But when you're talking about the cops, when you're talking about the banks, it's the same thing. You know, like to go back to cops for one second. I'm very, very hard 
on the police on on my show, and I think about that sometimes. I'm like, oh, am I too hard? You know, because I, I I know some, and I know some great ones, right? Mm, yeah. But I want to see them represent safety and true, like that public that thing that like when you're a kid, you say, you used to say, what do you want to grow up and be a firefighter, a police officer? I want them to represent that. And I, I believe in the Pareto principle in a lot of life and the way I look at it, and I'm probably overgeneralizing, but just to keep it high level is that 80% of cops are probably great cops and generally very good people, right? They make mistakes like anyone else, but they don't make a mistake and kill someone for no reason. You know, they don't, they don't make a mistake and, and, throw somebody's head through a plate glass window because they're having a bad day and they forgot to take their Xanax. Not that kind of mistake, right? And the other 20%, I don't know what the percentage of them that's bad is. I, I'm not going to say. But within that 20%, there's two types of people. There's the cops who are bad down to, you know, something, someone like a Derek Chauvin, you know, just killing a guy on camera, the worst of the worst, to cops who repeatedly do things, which by the way, he was a guy who repeatedly did all kinds of things, profiling, you know, yeah. beating people up, shit like that. Like just bad guys with something to prove who should never have a badge. But then there's also people who may not be bad people, but they're cowards because for whatever reason in such a self-preservation mode, they know about other guys and things that go on, but they don't say anything. We had a video, I, maybe you saw it because it was on the internet. So it wasn't just here in America, but it didn't, it died off after a couple of days and I'm going to look back into it because it's an active case, but it was disgusting to watch. And the worst thing about it is that it was four months old. This is why I bring this up. It was an army lieutenant, like a lieutenant, like not, not that, I mean, he was in the army. So let's just leave it at that. But, you know, literally like a lieutenant, black guy drove home from buying his car. And he had the temporary plate that everyone gets from a car dealership in the back. And he was wearing his army fatigues and he got pulled over and he pulled into a gas station underneath the lights where there are cameras to make sure that nothing was going on here. And he had guns pulled on him by two different cops. He was pepper spray. It was disgusting. And he, he's suing that police force into submission. And I hope he does be, and I hope he wins big time because the thing that pissed me off the most about that video is that it was that three or four months old. So all the cops, I know, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the cops in that department knew about that video. They knew what they did. They didn't charge him with anything, by the way. They ended up letting him go because he did nothing wrong. They were in the wrong, but no one said anything. So to me, you stop that entire police force. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a parasite. You stomp on it, you rebuild it. You get rid of everyone. Sorry, that's what it is. Like you guys had your shot. Like that, that guy, that could have very easily ended in a death of a guy who literally serves for the country. Yeah. So I see things like that and I'm bothered by it. And now going back to the original point on like Bitcoin and stuff like that, I get very concerned with tribalism in anything. You know, I just talked about it with the cops, but one of the big jokes to me of tribalism that actually in fairness, <laughs> fairness isn't the word, but half of it was like fake bot accounts and stuff. But the tribalism of XRP, it's hilarious. I mean, like they're, I don't know if you ever dealt with those guys online. They are, they're hilarious. They're ruthless that, you know, there's this thing that it's like, you're an idiot if you're not going for XRP or whatever. And there was always an element of that with Bitcoin, but it was smaller. Right. Mm. And there was more openness and like Bitcoin supposed to be founded by like libertarians, which, you know, I'm still trying to define what that is, but 
there's aspects of that. I guess I agree with parts of it that I think are unrealistic, but like they're supposed to be all about freedom and freedom of thought and whatever, which that thing I can certainly agree with. And I'm seeing a lot less of that now. I'm seeing people go after Elon Musk because he tweeted something that I think was wrong. I do. But like he tweeted it out with evidence. He's a smart guy. He's a busy, he's, I think he's the smartest guy in the world. He's a busy, he's a busy guy. You don't then treat Elon Musk like an idiot, which is exactly what the Bitcoin community did. They, they, they took their hand and they slapped the, the bee's nest because the guy, also the guy had literally revealed a week before that he had Asperger's. And if you know, if, if you're familiar with that disorder at all, one of the things about it is that you have less emotional, you're often people with Asperger's are brilliant, but they, they're far more pragmatic and data-based and how they think than emotional, which actually works out a lot of the time. But one of the things about that is they will inherently respond to things without, they will, they will def- respond very defensively when emotion is brought into it. So what the Bitcoin community did is they went and they slapped them. They slapped the bees hive. And then he responded with some vitriol. And he's also a funny guy, which is like interesting too, you know, because that's, you wouldn't expect that from, from him, like being this brilliant technologist and all that, but he is, and he uses that to his advantage and he shows the ass of the community. And so one of my big things with Bitcoin that, you know, it's like, I get crushed by people who I've even respected and, and follow what they do and whatever these days I get crushed because of tribalism for saying this. But one of my fears is that I think the main thing that could stop Bitcoin are Bitcoiners. I think that if Bitcoiners become the establishment that they sought to destroy, they could kill it. Because I also know that while it cannot be completely controlled in any way, by government because it doesn't exist in an entity. That's the beauty of it. There are still ways the government can disincentivize adoption, right? So when you add in that vitriol and then you add in people who then just, I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of smart people who are like this fucking Bitcoin community, man. I don't know. When, when they start dividing people like that, and this isn't just America, this is an international thing. You know, mm-hmm. when governments in power are trying to divide people, it's, I, I like this theme that you brought up right at the front of like this whole power structure because it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. When they start making people believe that they are enemies, they're distracting from who the real enemy is. And so it would be very sad to me, not just for my wallet, but, you know, for like, you know, for personal freedom, you know, to see something like Bitcoin fall under the weight of the same sins that it was designed to, to solve, you know, to fight against. I mean, it's never lost on me that Bitcoin, that white paper that Satoshi released was on October 1st, 2008. Mm. It was two weeks after Lehman Brothers failed. It was a brilliant white paper. It was an incredible invention. And that thing started trading on, I think it was January 3rd, 2009. The bottom of the market in the United States with the S&P was March 9th, March 6th or March 9th, 2009. Okay, so this started at the, it was the, it was the phoenix rising from the ashes, like the very fresh ashes of that disastrous, disastrous financial crisis. And it was designed to fight against the same people that you kindly brought up at the beginning, which are the people, you know, at the banks to focus on them who, who hold on to power and are backed by the governments. So what did the governments do? 
and the government was in a bad position. I will give, for once, I will give the government that. It was a very shitty situation to be in, but the governments had to bail them out because the system was created such that if they didn't, they were fucked. And that's a system the governments have themselves to blame for creating. You know, so Bitcoin's supposed to take that away. Now, to bring it all the way back to the front part of your question about can we get to a point where we are using systems, be it a Bitcoin, another cryptocurrency, whatever it is, to work around banks and around systems and take power to the people. I, I certainly believe so. I wouldn't be invested in it if I didn't have a strong belief that that could happen. I think that there will be some forms of tough compromise that will still be significantly better, but it won't make it the utopia that some, some of us want. Like I would love a utopia, right? Where, oh, we don't need the powerful structure and we can all do things ourselves. But if you're looking at how banks are like behind it, I'll speak for Bank of America when I say they're not. Now, I found this because I'm a goddamn sleuth, but <laughs> Bank of America, obviously, like every bank, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, they had all these internal papers. And I'm, I'm, I definitely couldn't access all of them. It depends on what department you're in, but there's a lot I could access. And these papers would be written in you know business textbook format. And then the last three pages would be all the, you know, the size four disclosures. Nobody read the disclosures. Of course not. I read the, I read the disclosures, right? I, I read, and it was only a couple of times, but I read through them because I'm like, what the, what the fuck are they putting in here? And so one time I found the, the jackpot, and this is maybe late 2018, I want to say. So bottom of the bear market in crypto, towards the bottom. And in somewhere smack dab in the middle of that, Bank of America, a company that at the time, and I think it's still this way, you were not even permitted to say the word Bitcoin to a client, let alone trade in anything that owned it. Nothing. Can't talk about this thing. Why? Because lawyers in a room said, oh, that could lead to a lawsuit in Delaware court about blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's why. And in the middle of this long scribe at the end, I'm not going to get this word for word, but it said something along the lines of, XRP is a crypto asset created and distributed or something like that by the company Ripple Labs out of blank, blank, whatever, California or wherever the hell they're from. And Bank of America is actively working with them to establish and a whatever ledger to trans and then it said all these buzzwords, you know, the agency transaction, all this shit, right? And I was like, oh, 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 whoa, what do we have here? So then I start cross-referencing, you know, to search in all the search terms, and I can't find much. I'm like, okay, they're putting out no papers on this, nothing on this. And they're telling us we can't even and this is rip, this isn't even Bitcoin. This is this is XRP. Mm. So then I start digging through online and I started like, I think I started on like Glassdoor or something before I even went to LinkedIn and I start looking through things they're hiring for. And I see, I'm looking at other departments, like totally different things, like operation stuff. I start finding a bunch of tech positions and these, you know, these long, stupid corporate names, like senior, senior technical advisor for the vice president of, blah, 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 you know, whatever the fuck. And I start reading through the job descriptions. And just like 
the disclosure statements. These job descriptions filled a bunch of filler words in there, like need to be courteous and on time, like just filling in bullets to hide. The, and then it would throw in real technical stuff. Need to be able to code in this, more filler bullets. Need to be able to do this on this platform. Need to be able to do JavaScript. Need to be you know responsible and good working with teams, more fillers. And then eventually down in there, needs to be familiar on how to work with the company Ripple Labs to instill the XRP ledger within the context of Bank America as a company for, on behalf of the clients, both the institutional and individual investment side or something like that. And I was like, damn, fuck me. God and damn. so then I, that's when I found the data. And I, I haven't even looked at this data in a while, but at the time, Bank of America was not only, not only owned the most patents of any bank in the world in blockchain, mm -hmm. but they were the fourth most of any company in the world, period. That includes obviously all tech companies. And I was like, I mean, again, like quick story, but I, I had my cousin up visiting me when she was a senior in college for like a couple of days on something on, on a weekend. I think we were going to New York for something. And so Saturday morning, go to the gym, work out. And on the way back, I'm like, oh, I got to pick up something from the office. So I pull in. I'm like, all right, come in. And as we go to walk up there, I remember in my head, I'd started to think like this. And I'm like, oh, she's a marketing major. All right, let's see what she's made of. And so we get up to the office and we walked in. And I said, all right, I'm going to walk you to my part of the office right here. You're seeing it right now. You're going to look around. And then I'm going to walk you to some other parts. And when we walk to each part, we'll start here. Tell me what you see and tell me what you think happens here. And she started describing the physical things in each, in each part of the office. And all the words she was using were everything that could be the antithesis of innovation or new era or things that are changing things happen here. And then I, I'm like, very good. And then I took her to the worst part of the office and she goes, I think this is a prison. And I said, yeah, I, I think it is too. It's all gray. They're, the cubicles literally look like, you know, prison cells. And I looked at the desk and thought about like, you know, she's a female. So she had some of the literal like design things where she was saying this carpet's made of like suede or whatever. I started looking at the carpet and then I, I look at the computer and that's, I mentioned this earlier, but that's when it hit me. I'm like, this fucking thing uses internet Explorer. It runs on a windows system from 2010. It takes 10 minutes to load up a website. Sometimes the company firewall blocks Wikipedia and this same bank owns the most blockchain patents on planet earth. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I, to answer your question, I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no fucking idea. I do know that there is a massive thing happening where these institutions are trying to act like they're for the common man, right? Which is not working at all. And yet it's the same thing all the way at the top right? With the executive branches trying to hold on to power and working with the governments and, you know, rubbing people off in Washington, D.C. and acting like they give a shit about everyone else. And on the other side of it, you have all the individuals in society who are finally saying, fuck you. And they have an enormous platform to do it with the internet where they can also band together to do it. And that is where I think there is positivity in movements like Bitcoin. And that's where I understand an aspect of tribalism. My issue is when you start attacking other people who want the same things. Maybe they have different solutions. You are not always going to agree, especially early on in any process. You are going to have massive disagreements on how things are done, but everyone can agree or most people can agree 
that places like banks and institutions and the governments have repeatedly failed the people. They continue to do it in broad daylight and we can't fucking take it anymore. So let's rise up and stop it. So instead of fighting over how to rise up and stop it, let's start to use it as a brainstorming session and find the best ideas and land on them and then go from there. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I agree completely. I find it fascinating that yeah, that story's crazy. That's fucking mental. Yeah. I like the idea. Actually, I don't like the idea, but it's interesting that they're pursuing. I mean, immediately when you said XRP, straight away I went, yeah, they want the technology. They're not interested in, in anything else. They want to adopt or duplicate the blockchain technology that they have. Why XRP? don't know. Maybe they deem it the most technologically advanced. Um, but there are many others, certainly new ones like... Um, Nano is supposed to be green. It's supposed to be you know, a thousand times more efficient per block than Bitcoin. I mean, I mean, you could go on forever. And there's so many what they call quote unquote shit coins now. I'm sure there are many, many of them uh, who are out there. No just doubt. To, you know, no doubt. These people that just create them just to, you know, fuck you, I want mine and I'm leaving type of thing. You know, maybe there's only a handful of them that are real global contenders. You know, just to name a couple, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Cardano, you know, whatever. But uh, it's the technology that's going to win over. And I find it interesting that banks, um, such as the Bank of America, as you've said, are interested in pursuing the technology. Now, I wonder whether it's going to be a case of, hey, guys, we're going to create our own CBDC, we're not going to, you know, we're not, we don't endorse any third party cryptocurrency. We have our own based on the dollar, you know, and they can still manipulate and fuck around with it as much as they want. But um, as a, as a, as a, um, as a, um, fuck, what's the word? I've got all this information up here, but trying to get it out of my mouth is, is a nightmare. As Welcome a token, world, as a token to you guys. We use blockchain technology. Oh, great. So, you know, we can see it on a public ledger. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. No, just trust us that we use a blockchain technology. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that going on. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's going to be 20, 30 years before, uh, you know, 15, 20 years before we actually find out what's going to happen. Um, I know that the Chinese have already got a Chinese cryptocurrency, you know, digital version of their how much do you know about that? Not a great deal. Um, I try and absorb as much information as I possibly can, but how much could you know, really? Yeah, well, that's a great point. I just, you know, that, that's one thing I haven't looked into deeply yet. I'm like kind of afraid to, but I'm going to have to do. So I was just wondering. But yeah, I mean, I try to have majorly intellectual conversa conversations with people who are, you know, very smart and very cultured and very, you know, salt of the earth kind of people. So I have to, mm -hmm. I feel a compulsion to learn about as much as I possibly can. Um, but I know that the ECB European central bank have said that they're going to release a cryptocurrency within the next two months. And I'm like, Jesus, you must've been working on this for a bit then and, and not actually said anything. Um, they're talking about over here in the UK, a, a Brit coin, <laughs> you know, it's like, fuck out. Could you, could you get any worse? Seriously. Can I ask a question on that? Yeah, go for Serious it. Serious question. When has a government ever created something innovational? I don't think that's a word, but... They don't, do they? 
I don't. I mean, so I was these, coin, this, these I was coins this, are going to innovate. Mm, they're not. These coins are going to be designed con- to control. Agreed. I find it interesting um, that you say that. Actually, I was talking to a friend of mine last night, incidentally, and we were talking about innovation and capitalism, entrepreneurialism, um, innovation. You know, governments incentivize these people, you know, like your Grant Cardones and your um, Trumps and your bloody Richard Branson's. They incentivize these people to do the shit that they don't want to do, giving them tax breaks and all that kind of stuff. So, like you said at the beginning, capitalism, I love it. It's, it's a great system. And I thought about this the other day. The UK is kind of a capitalist country, but not really, because we don't incentivize. And, and I'm sure this goes to, and just to kind of swerve the subject a little bit, but I think this, this bleeds into the States as well. We like to do these things, but we don't back it up with education. We mm. like these third parties to take over the railway system, to take over public transport, to you know, innovate and control and distribute uh, utilities, gas and electric and telephone lines and stuff like that. But we don't incentivize this very much with the education system because we're still educating kids. And it's funny how these conversations just... <laughs> Wild. We're still educating kids, uh, and I call it like two economies ago. You know, we're still educating kids to produce. We're still educating kids to be uh, uh, worker bees to in in a as part of a manufacturing society. Now, that was like two economies ago. I mean, even if we tried to keep up now, we're still not. We need to be ahead of the time. We should be educating our kids for the economy that's coming now. England is always, not as always, but for the last probably 30, 40 years have been a very service-based economy. You know, we, you know we've got such uh, Canary Wharf in London. It's one of the financial hubs of Europe. But we're not educating our kids to be entrepreneurial. Now, I said to my mate yesterday, what would our country look like or what would developing or developed countries look like if they incentivize entrepreneurialism and back that up with education in schools, teaching our kids about entrepreneurialism, and money, um, what would our countries look like in 30 years' time when these kids are of working age and creating amazing businesses? I find that shit fascinating. So this is where I think we're, we're at the start of something amazing or governments that go, nah, step on the ants' nests. You're not doing it. The, the school part of that as the symbol is so good and it, a guest I just had in here brought it up and I, we haven't really talked about that much on my podcast and, and it's such an interesting topic to me, but I'm, I'm in two directions on it. Number one, I think that I'll speak for America right now and I don't think it's much different in the UK, but you correct me if I'm wrong. I think that schools have not changed too much since the 1950s. Mm. I think the general concept is still the same. You know, little things tinker here and there, but think about the phone you were using in 1955. I mean, you and I weren't using it, but think about what they were using. It was connected to a wall. They had to dial like that. 
And now you have a phone in your hand that is literally a part of your body. Does everything, connects to the world at a given second. You and I could do this on our phone right now. We're doing it on a computer. At least I am because I'm in a studio, but I could do it on my phone. You know, so the world has changed and yet schools and, and you could use other systems as well have not necessarily changed with it. I would totally change how we do education and I would incentivize, I would want to incentivize things like entrepreneurialism and, and stuff like that. The one thing I always do keep in mind though, and it's unfortunately the fallibility of human nature in that we are all built differently and there is true competition, right? Unless you live in a communism society or a pure socialism society, which is always miserable and that's why they get overthrown. You see that there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And so if you try to teach every kid and, and, and whatever system you set up when you're educating them, that they're all going to be entrepreneurs and this is what you have to do. Maybe you aren't preparing. You're definitely mentally not preparing kids who aren't going to have it or whatever it is or that drive. You know, they're just not built from the same shit that the other kid is or they don't want it. They're going to incentivize them to not know what the fuck to do when that doesn't work. You know, for, and it's hard for me to think about this because I don't think like that. I got that bug, right? Like I'll die to make my shit work, right? I, and I walk the talk with it and hopefully I'm right about that. But like, I don't think about anything else. I don't do anything else. I am in here. I cut up content. I talk with cool people. I get better over time. There are times where I do things where I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking there? Because I got to learn from it and continue to get better, right? Like that is, that's just what the process is. And I am obsessed with it. Not many people I know, I shouldn't say not many people I know, plenty of people I know, including people I'm friends with, family, whatever. They don't fucking get that. They would not do that in my position. And it's no slight. They have another view of the world. And so when we start trying to, it's like, and I should have said this earlier with things, but, you know, the law of physics where it's for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction is one of the truest laws ever created because it's not just physics. It applies to everything. Yeah. And very rarely, sometimes there are exceptions, but very rarely is the answer to a problem, the direct equal opposite. It is somewhere in the middle of the two. Yes. And so with schools, I view it the same way. And fuck if I know how to fix all of it. I've seen, I did start to see a couple of cool projects I'm going to look into. I don't want to comment on them because I'm not really sure yet, but they're looking at new ways to be able to incentivize exciting education and, and different subject matters and keep kids engaged. And so I, I do think the market may be able to solve some of that. Let's hope they can. And governments don't step in and tell them to fuck off. But I don't, know that it's going to be smart to just incentivize one type of pure freedom-based system, in this case, the freedom system of you're going to work for yourself and that's how it's going to be. Be successful doing it? Not, it's not going to be possible for everyone. Now, I, I heard someone say, comment that the guy brought up on my podcast, he said, and I haven't checked this yet, but Either way, whether he's right or wrong about it or saw it somewhere else, I think it actually holds water. So I'll go with it. But he said schools were originally designed to train kids to be in factories, right? And now it's just to train them to be in corporations. I don't know if that's true, but in practice, I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's trained to be like this, you do this, and then you do that. And like I say this, by the way, as somebody who 
I can genuinely think of amazing teachers I had that I enjoyed and look forward to who were fucking awesome. Like across every part of my life, right? Like middle school, elementary school, whatever. But then there were ones who weren't. And then overall, when you mix it all together and you still see like even the great teachers, maybe they would have been even better if they weren't held to this bar, right? Like this is the exact thing you got to do. And also maybe I was also lucky enough to have a close relationship with them for whatever reason, you know, we vibed off each other. Like, you know, I like their subject or something like that. The other kids who maybe weren't in the same boat didn't have the opportunity to get. And that's not the teacher's fault either. You know, that's just how it is. And I think about these things a lot because you, you can't have everyone win but you want to create a system that incentivizes at least some people to be able to. And it's not to say that people aren't winning right now. Yeah, there's entrepreneurs out there. There's people trying to win and do it. Like that's what I'm trying to do right now. But it's it's in large part usually not thanks to the school system, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I I always try to act like I don't know anything. Like going into a new situation. It's a good place to be. Mm. And when I came out of college, I didn't, I would tell myself, like, I got to figure out how things work, you know, but there were still a few things that like, not consciously, but that I just thought like, oh, that's how it is. You know, that's how this works, right? No, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. And I learned that and I look back and again, I actually really appreciated my college education. I thought I had a very good one. Very, and, I, and it's because I picked the right major. It was very up my alley, like had amazing teachers. So like it worked out well, but I had friends at the same college who don't agree with that, right? Because they had a different mm -hmm. major. It didn't work out for them. And even despite that, there's still things that maybe they could have taught in school or maybe they can't really teach in school that you are only going to learn in the experience of putting yourself out there and doing it and being willing to be like, all right, I'm going to get some things wrong. So the school system, we, I think a lot of us can agree. It's very, very broken. It's very archaic. I think that if there's a positive of the pandemic, if that didn't expose the fuck out of it, I don't know what will. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you right now I have an exact solution to it. I, I think that would be really arrogant for me to say because, A, I'm definitely not an expert. I may be able to identify the problems. The solutions are a lot harder to do. Yeah. And B we've never really tried anything. So I don't think anyone's going to have a direct solution first. We're going to have to do things that fail. And it's tough to think about because that means you are going to have to do things to fail on kids, but you're already doing things that are failing on kids. So you, yeah. you have to think of it that way. Like you can only fail up here in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with what you said that the pandemic exposed a lot of things that we're doing wrong or we've not updated and then obviously to circle it back a little bit about the banks we've exposed what went wrong and nothing's really changed we've exposed issues with the school system and how things could be done differently are we going to take those lessons and learn by them or are we just going to go oh no this is what we've always done we'll, we'll carry on it's Again, I mean, I just keep going back to the same point. It doesn't matter how many conversations I have. This is the start of whatever is going to be. You know, we what see. What do you mean by that? In terms of the global public 
perhaps trying to force or guide a new direction. It's almost like 8 billion people almost are going, maybe we should try this, governments. Are you going to come along with the, for the ride? Or? And it's up to them, I guess, to say yes or no. You know, I'm not going to say it's all going to be sunshine and roses if we take this path. I mean, I, I don't, people laugh and say, oh, you know, what are you talking about? Are you talking shit? No, I, I don't believe, I, I honestly, I'm so convicted that today is the start of the rest of humanity. Now, agree or disagree, but all the puzzle pieces are being pushed into place to make this happen. Global pandemic education we've exposed situations with the school system we've exposed flaws with the banking system you know there's civil unrest in all sorts of different countries you've got shit going on in america with black lives matter you've got shit going on in china with uyghur muslims you've got all sorts of shit going on in the middle east over fucking oil you know and and this is an opportunity almost a global entrepreneurial opportunity to make things different and you know, it's hard. I see, to, where, I see where you're getting at here. Yeah, by the yeah. way, but please, please keep going. This it, this is interesting. It's hard to try and gauge how it's going to pan out. Part of me thinks that we've given our governments too much power. Mm. You know, we in the UK at the moment. It's been 15 months and we've might, you know, maybe been out, out, allowed to be outside for about six weeks. We've been allowed to go outside and play. Wow. There's talk over here about um, travel passports, like health passports. You know, you get stamped for every time you get a vaccination. It's like, oh, my God, like what's going on at the moment? We've got this, quote unquote, Indian variant um, that we're on the risk of not coming out of this current lockdown, you know, with July 21st, that's it finished. As far as we do concerned at the moment, go ahead. No, I want to ask just on the exact topic you're saying, do you, do you want to talk about like the whole vaccine? Thing yeah. Today yeah. We'll, too? we'll get into it. Yeah. If you want. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm happy. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for anything. I just, I, I got to ask that first. Um, July 21st. Yeah. It's supposed to be finished. No masks, no mm. social distancing. Everybody crack on as before. I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, lots have changed. L- lots of things have changed. I mean, you go to the supermarket and there's a traffic light system to go into the supermarket. And these are <laughs> bolted to doors. Like, that shit's not going to come down easy if they take it down at all. Governments have got a, a reputation for reaching out and grabbing power, but then not giving it back. You know, let's talk about Nixon in 1971, temporarily coming off the gold standard. That never, <laughs> Tem- that never went temporarily. back. Temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm almost concerned with what's coming because at the end of the day, it's going to be the, the young guys and girls that are coming up to join the workforce, to lead these countries, to, try and make things a better place, but still have one arm t- tied behind their back. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a scary situation when it comes to this. You know, the last time this happened was the Spanish flu. And we kind of got our freedoms back. But I wonder what our freedoms were like before the Spanish flu. Did You know, I wasn't there to see it. I wonder how free, how, how much more free we were before as to where we were 
before this current pandemic? You know, does the noose tighten every time we get a pandemic? Does the noose tighten every time something happens? It's kind of scary. And I wouldn't like to be the one to make those tough decisions. I wouldn't like to be the guy that decides maybe essentially who lives and who dies. But then again, when this all started, I was like really skeptical about the whole thing. I mean, as and I did my research because I want to understand these things. Now, as far as I understand it, the coronavirus is the family of viruses. COVID-19 is that type of virus that was discovered in that year. So essentially, COVID-19 is the flu, quote-unquote flu, right? A different variant of the flu. Obviously, when anything new and different comes in, such as this, it gives you a big slap. It's kind of a shock to the system, hence the reason why every fucker gets ill and goes to their knees. I get it. You know, 99.9% of the people that unfortunately lost their lives did have some underlying issue. But if you look at the, you know, if if you zoom out and take a look at the big picture, personally, as far as I understand it, I don't believe that COVID was that serious. But then... Was COVID that fucking serious and we didn't know about it, which is why the governments went, right, everybody stay inside. Back in the beginning, I went on the, I I did go down the conspiracy rabbit hole on this, you know, and um, weirdly got banned off TikTok, (laughs) which, you know, I was kind of a little bit distressed about, right? (laughs) But I was finding all this information. I was like, fucking hell, like this isn't, I mean, perhaps this isn't what we're led to believe but the point was you know you see in one side of this argument all the time there was no debate on the other side there was no room for discussion it was this is the narrative it's dangerous shut up and now we're getting this whole have you been vaccinated you know what 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 brand of vaccine did you have it's like for christ's sake no personally i in i don't i'm not going to get the vaccine because i consider myself you know pretty fit, young, you know, I look after myself. I mean, I might drink a beer now and again, but I'm, I'm pretty strong, pretty fit. You know, I've had the flu maybe a handful of times in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's kicked me in the nuts, but that's the flu. Now, rightly or wrongly, that's my freedom of choice. That's my opinion. I'm not going to get the vaccine because I don't think I need it. Now, older people usually get a yearly flu jab. You know, they get it every year as a, as a booster, because they need it, because their immune system is failing as they get older, they need that extra boost. But when it comes to COVID, it's it's a whole different ballgame. And I wonder where it's going to lead. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. Are you going to get the vaccine at all? I, I, Sorry, I I'm did. getting distracted. Listen, oh, you're good. But, you're good. But, but, but my screwdriver's not... Not staying on. Okay, I'll come up in a minute. <laughs> I love it. Oh, sorry, man. Came in right at a good moment, too. Perfect. Perfect um, so, yeah, I, I'm, and I also didn't disclose this early. I, I always like to make sure I disclose. I am invested in Bitcoin. That is the, this just reminded me, that is the preeminent cryptocurrency I'm invested in. And then I'm small invested in, in Ethereum as well. Nothing else. So, I say that because on the vaccine side, yes, I, I am fully vaccinated. 
And I do have a lot of thoughts around this. And mm, it's all a tough topic. So you introduced all of it right there. The overall theme that we've been getting about, getting at this entire time about the powers that be maintaining power and dividing the people below. My belief is that the vaccine is that latest power struggle. If you look at this pragmatically, here's what I believe on Corona. I think that the data fully supports that it is far more dangerous than the flu. I think the data also fully supports that unlike at the beginning when I felt like, you know, this was going to kill 15% of us, it doesn't do that. I think it also supports that by and large, if you are a child or someone very young without an underlying condition of comorbidity, you're going to be fine. I think it also supports that if you are at any age and obese, you might have a problem. Yeah. And I don't want to, I understand there are other things that go into that. If I were going to be flipping, I'd say hit the treadmill, right? I, I understand it's not that simple with stuff. I, I don't want to be that dick to people, but these things all can be true at the same time. And I try to stay up here with things as best I can. And I'm sure I do a horrible job of that sometimes, <laughs> but I think I've done a very good job of that with the vaccine because I have been simultaneously hugely concerned about how they market this thing and also hugely excited that they were able to have this innovation and therefore including the people who would be at risk. I don't need to feel bad about being around anymore because they have access to it. Right now I got it because why not my doctor, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but I was talking to a doctor maybe just like eight months ago. And I said, what's the percentage of people who get a flu vaccine every year? And he was like, it's below 30%. So that's what I thought. Cause I'll never forget the first time I got a flu vaccine. It was like three years ago. I was seeing my doctor for a physical in the end of September. And towards the end, he goes, Julian, you want to, you want to, do you get a flu vaccine yet? I said, no, I've actually never gotten one. And I was fully vaccinated on all the regular shit. Right. But I just never went and got the flu vaccine every year. Never thought like, oh, I'm not getting the vaccine. I just never did it. Mm. Stupid American. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, bring it in. Fucking jab me. Call it a day. There's nothing in it. It's a vaccine. It's not a drug too. And I'm going to get above my pay grade here. So anyone who is a medical expert, please feel free to tell me to fuck off on this, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to overgeneralize and explain that when you're looking at many drugs, definitely not all of them, I would assume when you look at drugs, drugs put a foreign item, call it in your body. They put something that is going to interact with your body and tell it something new to do. And therefore, in many cases, change the chemical makeup. That is not how a vaccine works. A vaccine is put into your body to, in a controlled manner, inject the elements of the exact disease. It is not a friendly thing. It is something that your body recognizes as that is not good. Fuck that. Yep. It puts it in there in a controlled manner, which is what they have to innovate to get to because you have to determine what is that control manner, like how many cells or whatever and all that shit and where how fast can it react and can the antibodies form puts it in there and your body forms antibodies to stop it it does not change you chemically bill gates is not putting a microchip in your vein though he might want to he can't do that 
And I look at it pragmatically from the top. When I move, when I remove all the noise, remember, they locked us all at home. We had nothing but time to all talk about this online, right? Nothing but time to look at all the, all the rabbit holes of conspiracy theories and shit. And they built that in powers that be once again, it's a symbol of them. They're using the vaccine to divide us. And so they, in my opinion, have now set up a system where people have questioned the entire thing and assumed things that if they sat back and really thought about it and said, okay, ask this question. If they were putting something in this vaccine that were going to like change my sperm levels or, you know, like <laughs> something, some crazy diabolical third world shit that, or whatever, you know, new world order shit, I should say the world economic forum or whatever, like I name every conspiracy theory is trying to put in your bodies. If they were trying to do that, how many people would have to be in on it? Hmm. The answer is in the hundreds of thousands at a minimum. It is most likely in the millions. You can get a lot of people to shut up. You can hold a gun to enough people's daughters and grandkids and, and tell them, you know, do you want to see them again? Right. But there's only so many people in black hats in a short amount of time who can actually go do that stuff. And so when you have numbers that big, it is not possible. So I don't, I had no hesitation getting it. I waited until I, I went to sign up for it in April because my whole thing was I want to make sure all the old people can get it first. You know, all the people who are concerned get it first. And then I remember in mid April, I went to the CVS and stuff around here. There's stations everywhere. There's stations, there's signs everywhere. You can go anywhere to get this. And I'm like, okay, if the old people haven't gotten it by now, that's on them. So then I went and got it, right? And I don't have to worry about it myself. I wasn't that concerned about getting it. And that's kind of the end of it. But when I I went to the site to get it, uh, I did it like at the hospital. And I was sitting in the holding chambers afterwards. There's literally... Holding chambers. By the way, the least weird part about the vaccine process there by far was getting the actual vaccine. It was exactly what it's supposed to be. Some nurse is like getting off her phone like, hey, what's going on? All right. uh, I got a bandaid here. It's going to hurt for a second. All right. You good? Cool. All right. Done. Nothing else to it. That's exactly how it should be. And by the way, I saw that CVS too. They're doing that just like that. Fucking great. Love it. The rest of it, you know, where they bring you up, they check your card, they do, you know, they have like the all they're putting all your data in and stuff. And it's not that much, but still it's something, right? And then the holding cell after where they bring you through like this almost like trap door into this wide open room where you sit in numbered chairs and they tell you to check the time and you can't leave till this. And by the way, everyone who's working there is obese too, which is like, you got to be <laughs> fucking kidding me, but neither here nor there. And I, at each time I was sitting there, cause I got the Pfizer, I was just laughing to myself. Like if I wanted to question this right now, like if I didn't have that viewpoint on it, I'd be sitting here saying this is a goddamn black mirror episode. If I saw all the propaganda that goes online from both sides to do it, I'd be thinking it's that kind of episode. And my opinion is that when you look at decisions of humans like in america we have a drinking age of 21 i don't know what it is over there but it's very dumb here they make it till you're fucking 21 you can go fight for the country at 18 but you know can't drink till 21 so you know parents tell their 15 year old no don't drink what do you think the kid's gonna fucking do it's gonna drink that's what human beings do if the easiest way to get someone to not do what you want them to do is to tell them what the fuck to do Mm -hmm. and so when you have 
every leader who wants you to get a vaccine tweeting out, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to give you a beer if you get the vaccine or like get vaccinated kids or like if you don't get a vaccine, you're going to need to wear a mask forever. Vaccines save life. like all these goddamn propaganda things. They are inherently, in my opinion, trying to convince very smart people, very smart people. And I'd even include you in that. I'd, I'd include a lot. I have a lot of friends across the political spectrum who've been texting me for months saying I'm not getting this shit. Just and they're saying it's because they don't trust the whole thing. They're getting a lot of people to look at all the noise around it so that now they can use this as this whole like, oh, they're not vaccinated, but they are and divide us in that way. Mm -hmm. And then they use something like the vaccine passport, which I think is ridiculous. I agree. Like, it's stupid. And I also think that, like, if you didn't get vaccinated, you obviously don't really care about getting it. So, okay, like, well, that's your that's on fucking you, man. Like, I'm not concerned. If, if I saw that a kid at my school, you know, two years from now or whatever, when when they get it widespread for kids, if I saw that another kid at my kid's school wasn't vaccinated, I, I don't think my reaction would be anger. My reaction would be like, all right, well, you know, if something happens to him, I guess that's on his parents. All right, that's fine. You know, whatever. OK, cool. And that'd be the end of it. I wouldn't be concerned for my kid. And also. I'd be least concerned of anywhere than like at a school because it's kids. Like, look at the data. They're going to be fine. Like, mm. of course, you always get the one story where somebody dies and we hate it. Right. And if it were your kid, you'd be devastated. Or my kid, I'd be devastated. But like such is the law of life. I tell people all the time, if you lined up a million people in a line and said on the count of three, take three steps forward. You know, a hundred of them are taking three steps backward. And, you know, two of them are going to trip over their foot and split their head open. It doesn't mean you say, OK, we can't walk forward now. So I get so frustrated by this because we continue to fight over these things and whatever. And like, look, I want people, everyone, you included me. I want people to do what they're comfortable doing with their body. I also don't want to see people just completely feed into the narratives. You know, I don't think it's like a virtue signal to do it. I think it's an easy thing by percentages, by the data that we've seen as of right now, it's the most impressive vaccine ever made. Do I think that people got their pockets lined with this? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Like I also don't care. They got to live with themselves. It is what it is. They beat other companies that were going to get there who didn't know the right people to fucking get there and get it across the line, as we saw with some emails that were, were released over this past week. Mm. Like, oh, well, like, I'd be pissed if I were them, and I hope they go after those people. Great. Like, that's the end of it for me. I, I, I've already been locked inside. I don't even deal with this shit. And I'm also very lucky, by the way. I've said this before on my podcast. I'm very lucky that I was building something that requires me to work all the fucking time around the clock during this whole thing, because I had a lot of friends with great jobs who did not have that luxury. And they were also working less than ever before because the world is fucking stopping. And like, they have a lot of time to think about shit. They have a lot of time to get in their head. They have a lot of time to like convince themselves of stuff like that has great arguments and things like that. It's like when you go online and you see the flat earthers argue flat earth, they sound fucking brilliant when they're doing it, you yeah. know? Smart people can fall for that. I think over the long term, smart people get away from it. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's crazy and it's not really any different with this stuff. So I come back to the whole dividing and conquering. But that's, you know, we have the two parties here. I know you have a similar two party type system there that exists in a lot of places. 
How do these parties maintain their grip on power for so long? How do they not change in a world that repeatedly has more and more issues that, that are so nuanced and have so many different belief systems within them? How does that happen? It happens by them consistently making you feed into the narrative that there are two parties and that's it. And you can only be one or the other. And when you agree with your one main thing, whatever it is, you better get behind all the other things that whatever side that represents that idea has. And they're just doing it with the vaccine now. So I agree with people that they shouldn't trust it. I, and to just to cap it off on your coronavirus point with COVID-19, yes, like I said at the beginning, it's not, it's not killing 10% of us. You know, we're going to be all right. And there's people who still seem to think that. And I, I don't really get that. But a point that you were making maybe in that part or maybe a little bit ago that kind of tied all this in together is how we are, I think you started off like, the whole question, the buildup to it with we're at this point where people are fighting back, right? And the, the individual can actually do things and stuff like that. I think it's so interesting because we have both at the same time. Yes. I think at the same time, we have more people who literally for what, I don't think they think of it this way. I really don't but they literally want to be completely controlled and told what to do. They don't think of it that way, but that is in their actions of what they exhibit and what they support. And then we have a bunch of people who want the exact opposite and want an individual society. And I obviously err strongly on the, the latter side there. Even the latter can get out of control though, you know, and not to pick on the libertarians, but there's ideas they have that I like, but when they get into things like no government, no, no military, kill it all. We don't need it. Well, no, that, that doesn't work. You know, yeah. I'm not going to argue with you and tell you governments are formidable places with the smartest people working at them. They're not, right? You want something to take 10 years that can take a year, send it to the government. I agree with you. I agree that there's waste. I agree that there's things that should be improved, things that should be scaled back. Sure. Sure. But the whole like in a world of seven and a half billion people where everyone wants to fight with each other, probably because of what the government's caused, that you're just suddenly going to be like, yeah, basically no government. Let people fend for themselves. That, that's, that's a social Darwinism experiment that would change our world forever because people who are in a bad position would be wiped off the face of the map immediately, like too quickly for things to be to, to have people have an equal opportunity to be able to have competition and win competition. So I don't think that works, but we're in a weird spot where you have people advocating towards that, or at least like in that direction. And I'm in that direction, not there, but you know, in the whole, Hey, let's think for ourselves a little bit. Let's, let's have conversations. We all have left beliefs. Some of us have some right beliefs too. Right. And, you know, I, I try to like stay above the fray with that too, because I generally just get pissed off at those two parties, but there's still this, this hard divide of people who don't agree with that and love the tribe of like being on the right side of whatever the hell they want to be on. And I look, it's all, it's, it's a circle of life, man. These parties are a circle. That's why their belief systems change over time. You look at the far, I, I, I've been studying the rise of Nazi Germany very closely recently. Cause it just blows my mind how fast that happened and how gross the whole thing was and what they did to the world and how that wasn't that long ago. But fucking and, fascinating though, right? Oh my God. Incredible. It's sickening, but it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And one of the distinctions they keep on making, and it's been made a million times before is about how, you know, the, the Nazis were far right, which they were. And 
the the communists in, in Russia were far left, which they were. And yet, what what often happens? Like, why do two people often hate each other? They often hate each other because they see the same things that they value themselves having, and no one else, like narcissists especially, that the other person has. And that's why Hitler and Stalin hated each other. They were one was far right and one was far left, but they were just meeting right there. They were in the circle. They were mm -hmm. on that circle. So when I look at our country and I see like, you know, these QAnon psychos, and then I see on the other side like Antifa and leftists, they have the same problems. They're just the craziest people that have absolutely stupid solutions. And yet they think their solutions are completely opposite and they are in how they introduce them. And in many cases, like they actually can be fiscally and even so obviously socially and things like that. But at the end of the day, how different really are they? Because the end result is kind of the same thing. Yeah. That's a wild concept to me. So yeah. there was a lot to unpack with what you said. I hope I just did an okay job going through all of it. And listen, it's the final thing I, I respect. I respect the people feel a certain type of way and and feel hesitant to trust anything they get, especially what a government right now is telling them to do. I hope it's not going to be like that in the future, but governments have made a lot of mistakes in the last year. And I mean, more than that, but in the last year and a half, especially. And so the fact that people don't trust them and then don't trust certain things, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I mean, you've got the right, the right government in power now though, right? I, bro I, I haven't seen a good government I, I don't know if i've seen one that i can say was good like in my lifetime yeah you know and people would scream at me for saying this but minus the blow job clinton was the closest thing and clinton had a lot of flaws you know there was the there was a fucking crime bill there was repealing glass steagall there's still like all these other things that happened, but that that's really saying something when I say he's the closest thing. They're just, yeah. you know, I, and I'm happy to say to people that I, I will also say that even though I think our government is kind of a piece of shit, it is the best piece of shit on a pile of steaming hot shit around the world. Yeah. That can be true too, you know? Yeah, no, so like, I agree. I don't know. It doesn't make me happy, but like it does make me, it does make me less stressed about it. You know, the Biden Trump thing was very stressful here. And, you know, then it ended up with Biden and like some things feel more normal and quiet. And some people are like, well, that's how they want it. Maybe it is. And like, maybe someone that's better right now. Maybe that's what we need a little bit. I, I don't know, but I, it doesn't mean like I'm thrilled with, things the Biden administration's putting forward. It, it, to me, it's different solutions of some of the same shit that I didn't like and what Trump was putting forward, but put through in a nicer way. You know, it's like, I, I can't really win. And I would, would like to think, and I believe that there are a lot of people out there like me who feel the same way mm -hmm. and maybe don't have the same solution ideas, but at least can agree like this ain't it, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's an incredible time. I think, um, we're going for an amazing time. Uh, like you say, it's the best and the worst at the same time, which is some weird fucking paradox. But hey. Yeah. A cruel one. Yeah. That's life. Yeah. That's life. Dude, yeah. it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. 
Um, oh, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate uh, it. I, I may rethink my vaccination after talking to you, but um, look, look, and, you know, and I'm, it's just, I, I don't want to, you know, overstep. No. I'm sorry about that, but no, know. no, it, it, for me, it's just like, do I need a vac? Do I need to be vaccinated against the flu? Probably not fit young, you know, there's nothing untoward about the thing itself. You know, I don't have any weird judgment towards it. You know, I don't, feel there's any anything conspiratorial about it i just think oh, do i need a vaccine and i'll be honest i ain't got the fucking time anyway i'm too fucking busy to go and sit for 15 minutes you know um so i just weigh up the pros and cons i've got two letters you know you you can have the vaccine i'm like yeah uh, no i no I, I can't be bothered i'm fit i'm strong you know touch wood if i do get it um it might knock me on my ass for a couple of days but i reckon i'll be all right yeah, but, I know, mean, yeah, that's that's what much, it is. Much like you, you I, I sit on the third side of the coin and I see both sides and I like to just be cool and assess and what have you. And, you know, everybody's free to make their own decisions on, on a vaccine or a physical policy or who they vote for or whatever. Mm-hmm. But don't, don't go fucking mad. Look, you know, yes. have your ideas, have your thoughts and discuss. And like you said, we've got more in common than we have difference. So... Mm-hmm. let's just be fucking human and it's interesting you you and i can say that to each other from across a pond you know technically living in some different worlds that have now this interconnectivity through the internet and the modern in the modern era and we even realize that we all have more in common you know yeah. there's some people you and i can't speak the same language as that you know if we talk with the translator we have a lot in common yeah. and at the end of the day people just want to be happy and a lot of people don't know how to chase that and they don't they get caught up in things. And listen, if it comes across, like I don't get caught up in things sometimes and be like, what the fuck? Trust me, I do. And like, it's, I, I think it's on everyone to check themselves with that. And also know that like, hey, sometimes when you are caught up and in looking into something, you're onto something. You know, it, it's tough to, it's tough to differentiate the two. It's very hard to do that. So, I'm, you know, I, fuck, I've been wrong a million times on my podcast. That'll, that'll continue to be the case. We're, we're all going to be that way. But I do respect the fact that we are in such a polarized moment, not politically in that way, where with the pandemic and how people feel about how it was handled and stuff like that. And so it is affecting how people view this, this kind of stuff, be it a vaccine. I get that. And I, I want people to do what they want to do. And I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm not personally, it's just me. Not that concerned if like a fit person doesn't get it. Like that's on them, you know. That's on you if you don't get it. But like, you'll probably be fine. It will suck. It'll be worse than the flu, but you'll probably be fine. And I hope you are. But yeah. we we play it like, you know, it's the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And I think that's how they want it. And I yeah. think they want they don't want people having conversations like this. I think they hate it. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. what I think. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Julian. Thank you, man. Thank I. I love doing this. I, I like your idea, and I think, you know, you and I were talking on the phone a couple weeks ago about doing this, and your whole thing about how not enough people do this kind of open forum type thing. I agree with one hundred percent. I don't think there's nearly enough of it, and you know, if you want to find all those things we have in common, you have to do stuff like this with different people. So. Absolutely. 
I'm wishing you all the best with this. And however I can support you, let me know. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. All right. Thank you, Lee. Cheers, man. See ya.